0: And I hope that all of you are ready for the uh, big storm of 2011. Uh, you've got your, uh, your bread and your milk and your eggs, um, which seems to be, for whatever reason, the survival food of all Georgians when there's any threat of ice or, or snow. I mean, it's, you know, you, we, we seem down here in the South to be able to survive. I mean, it doesn't matter what happens. We can survive on milk, eggs, and bread. And if you have not got your bread yet... Um, I just someone shot me a picture a moment ago of, of the uh, bread aisle at Walmart. I want to show you a picture of it. Look on the screen there for a moment. Um, <laughs> that just happened. So if if you've not got your bread, <laughs> you're not surviving because um, it's coming. Um, so, anyways, um, uh, we're all going to enjoy that, and I love I love snow and when the ice comes and all that. It just kind of mixes up things and changes the the routine a little bit. Well. Um, I remember back growing up in uh, the, the 70s, um, we had the uh, oil crisis of 1973 and the energy crisis of 1979, and I remember, you know, having to sit in long lines to get gas, and it uh, seemed like every other day, I think you were able to get, you know, kind of a, every other day, whatever, however your last name fell or however that worked out, you were able to to, uh, to get gas, and it seemed like things were so bad during that time, you know, the economy was so bad, But honestly, I think uh, if you look over the last three and a half, almost four years, um, the economy in our country has not been this bad since the beginning of the Great Depression, which happened in 1929. And it just seems like no matter where you turn, no matter where you look, uh, everything and everyone seems to be broke nowadays. Um, You look at the U.S. economy. I mean, think about what's broke nowadays. You look at the U.S. economy. The U.S. national debt is growing faster than any debt of any world nation. Uh, I read this past week where we are now, as a nation, over $14 trillion in debt. That's over 45000 per man, woman, or child in, in this country, or over 126000 just per, per taxpayer. So, I mean, we're, we're in debt. The unemployment rate just came out for, for December of 2010 and, and are, as a nation, we're at, at 9.4%, 10.1% here uh, in the state of Georgia. And so our economy is in trouble. We're broke. Um, but even businesses, a lot of businesses are broke. Lots of significant brands or companies closed in 2010. If you wanted to go out today and buy a Pontiac, a Mercury, an Oldsmobile, or a Saturn, good luck, because you're not. They're all, they all closed down. Um, the only blockbuster that I know of that's open in the entire world is at Lost Mountain over here. I'm not quite sure how they're doing that, but... Uh, Um, They closed down. Pizzeria Uno closed down. Stephen Berry's closed down. Circuit City's closed down. And not to to mention all of the, many of the top Fortune 500 companies that have seen a significant decrease in sales and performance. And then you just look at people. I mean, in March 2010, it was reported to this website, sendapress.com, which is kind of a gathering place for all these other news agencies, that over 4 million families faced foreclosure in 2010. Um, You go to to a website, foreclosureslistings.com, and you'll see that already there have been over 111,000 foreclosures just in the first five days, or nine days, of January 2011. And you break it down to the state of Georgia, we're number four in the country, and you break it down even further than that. Douglas County is number two, Paulding County is number three, uh, Bartow is number five, and Cobb is number 11 for foreclosures by county in the state of Georgia, and so you look and you think, man, everybody's broke. Everything's broke. Everything's going on. Personal bankruptcies have doubled just in the past decade. And so, I mean, it just seems like every. I mean, it just seems like everything is broke, in- including my vase here. And um, and and we look at, you know, kind of the pieces of our lives, and you know, we we think, man, I enjoyed. You know, just four years ago, seasons of prosperity and we looked good and we, we had this lived in this perfectly crafted home and we had nice cars and we had all the money and we were doing vacations and we bought what we wanted and we spent what we want and all of a sudden, the bottom dropped out and we, were, we, we find ourselves like this vase, broken and shattered in a million pieces and all of a sudden, here we are, we're broke. We're broke. Some of you, maybe you've been doing everything you can just to, to keep your financial vase on the table. I mean, but you've been just living right on the edge, you know, and you're just one bad investment, one layoff, one crisis from being shattered into a million financial pieces like this vase is all over the stage and all over the floor. And then there are those who just lived in this broken state. I mean, just, you're, you're in a perpetual state of brokenness. There, there's just it seems like you've always been fractured. Your finances have, has always been shattered and you've, really have, you've never really been able to make ends meet. And there's never been a time in your recollection where you were not broke. So no matter where you are, finances can cause a lot of stress. They can cause a lot of anxiety. I mean, and, and money can, can tend to, to own us, control us, rob us of our joy, leaving us feeling much like this vase, broken and shattered. And then... When there's brokenness, there's always collateral damage. I mean, when our spouse steps into this, there, there's splinters. When when our kids step into this crazy mess, I mean, the fallout of the jagged edges creates a lot of problems. We, we hurt ourselves just trying to manage the pieces of, of the mess that that we've created. And, and, and then the damage kind of even goes beyond our family. When you look at at, at the, the local church, the fact that so many people are broke and, and you know... Who call themselves Christ followers, well, the church and, and God's agenda seems to suffer as well. I mean, because your finances are broken, there are ministries endeavors here at Westridge Church that are unable to happen. And so rather than having conversations about, you know, how we can, um, you, know, do, you know, plan for some of the amazing things that God may want to do here at Westridge in 2011, Instead, lately, we've been having to have conversations about how do we tighten things up even more than we were before? You know, how do we cut and eliminate things that, that are kind of on the chopping block? You see, the damage, the damage of our financial brokenness is felt across the board in every area. Well, here's the deal. If you're, if you're broke, if you're struggling financially, then it's time for you to get God into the mess of your finances, because quite honestly, he's the only one that's ever able, that's ever going to be able to pick up the broken pieces of, of of your financial life and to put this all back together. I mean, you've tried, you've had people try to help you, but honestly, God is the only one that's ever going to be able to put this back together, and I want to tell you, the great news is he can do that, all right? And so... What we want to try to do is to help you to learn over the next several weeks and even into the upcoming year, we want to help you to learn how to handle money from a a biblical perspective. We want to help you to begin to make wise decisions uh, according to what the Bible says about our finances. We want to help you to learn to invest in God's kingdom plan because I want to tell you something, be honest with you, there's not a better investment plan out there than God's kingdom investment plan. Now, we know that many of you need help and... uh, just looking at uh, the 30-30 prayer blog that we did in, in the month of December, I mean, I was overwhelmed by many, many things that were going on in this church, but, but primarily the amount of folks that we're posting that are just struggling financially, financially that are, that are hurting. And so, um, so many of us, uh, we are truly unhealthy in the way that we deal with our finances, the way that we have invested, the way that we've not planned for bad times. And as a result of that, like I said, you're broke. And it didn't just happen overnight. This, is, this has been a result of years and years and years and years of just bad financial ideas and planning and just a bad mindset. Well, we're making a commitment uh, as a church to help you. And uh, this year we want to focus much of our teaching and programming on providing biblical resources, not only to get you healthy, um, but to help you to begin to put the pieces back together. And so I want to encourage you get plugged in here, don't miss a Sunday. Make sure that, that you are here uh, over the next f- several weeks because we're going to be kind of unwrapping, unraveling a plan to help you really get yourself healthy. Well, this morning, we're going we're gonna to kick off the teaching calendar by tackling finances. And um, I I think all of us know that money is is one of the the, the top reasons for divorce. It's one of the top reasons for marital conflict. It's one of the top reasons for conflict in our family. I mean, you know, so so the money goes, so the marriage goes, so the family goes. And many of you are struggling with finances. And as a result of that, you're, again, like this vase on the stage. I mean, you're broken. It, It really feels like everything is just shattered. And as a result, things are broken relationally. Things are broken spiritually. And it just, again there's just this huge collateral damage. So let's jump in this morning by asking the question, why are people so broke? Well, I think one of the reasons people are so broke is, is because they spend more than they earn. MSNmoney.com tells us that 43% of Americans spend more than they earn each year. A recent Federal Reserve study tells us that on an, on an average, Americans spend $1.22 for every dollar that they earn. So we spend more we, than we earn. We also buy things that we can't afford. The average U.S. household is about $8,000 in credit card debt. And if you were to take that debt and put a, you know, your credit card, let's say it's at 18%, it's going to take you about 25 years to pay that card off, and you're going to end up paying about $24,000 when it's all said and done. Um, when Westridge decided uh, a few years ago to kick off uh, financial Peace with Dave Ramsey, our very first group, 125 families, carried into that seminar... Over six million dollars worth of debt, not including a first, uh, first home mortgage. And uh, fortunately, we were able to many of those fam- all together about 100, they reduced it by about 1.5 million over 13 weeks. But, but we were all blown away. And then the next class was very similar to that. We buy things we cannot afford, and then we make unwise investments. F- Forbes magazine um, recently revealed that 80 percent of spouses acknowledge making secret purchases. One-fifth have a credit card that their spouse does not know about. Matter of fact, if that's you this morning. You have a spouse that you're, a card that your spouse And I want you to, no, don't do that, okay? Because it could be much, it could look a whole lot worse than this vase does at this very moment once you're, you kind of get done working through that. Um, we also don't plan for tough times. Um, recent career builder survey found that, that three quarters of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Think about that for a moment. Um, Kiplinger, Kiplinger's financial magazine recently reported that 51.2% of Americans don't have a, a retirement account. They're going to they're retire with, with basically nothing. So when the economy tanks, what happens? Well, so do we. Well, what does all, all this say? Well, it just says that people are broke because for the most part, whatever they make, they spend it immediately. And if they can't afford it, they borrow it. And they make unwise investments and they don't plan for tough times. Why? Well, we have a wrong perspective why do we live like we do why do we keep falling into the same trap well it's all about perspective many of us have this idea that we are entitled to things we look at our neighbor we look at what they have we look at what they bought and we think i i should have that i deserve that i've worked just as hard as they do i've put in just as many hours as they do if not more i deserve to have what they have and so we go buy it and then many of us, we have this mindset not only that we're entitled to things but that we should have it right now. Some of us are, are in our 30s and we feel like we've worked about 10 years, maybe more and we're looking going, you know, I should, have, I should have had a boat by now or I should have had a bigger house by now or I should have been driving this car and so I'm going to go get it. I don't care what that looks like. I'm just going to get it. Or in your 40s and you think, you know what, I, when, I, when I thought about being in my 40s or 50s, I thought things would be a little different that I would have more than I have. And so, you know what? I'm just going to go get it. I'm tired of thinking about it. I'm just going to go get it. Then the biggest one that I think that that many, many people struggle with is is this mindset that we have that what we accumulate is actually ours. It's this mindset of ownership. We think the car, the house, we think that the the money, we think all of it is, is, is actually ours. However, what happens? Well, we get down to the end of our lives and what happens to all of it? It becomes someone else's stuff. And you realize it was never mine in the first place. Everything that I had, I mean, the car, the house, the boat, the jet ski, the money, all of it. Guess what? You're taking none of it to the grave with you. All that's going in that box is you. You're not putting any of this in there. And you realize when you get down to the end of your life that all you're doing is giving your stuff over to someone else so it can be their stuff so it can then become someone else's stuff. And then it becomes an antique and then it becomes, you know, it it just kind of keeps going on and on. Well, this morning we're going to look in the Bible at a king and his people who truly had the right perspective when it came to the whole idea of of, of ownership. And, And for just a moment in time, this group of people were able to look past the whole idea of ownership and they were able to embrace a whole new way of living. And it left such an impact on not only them but on us that we're still talking about it today. We're still learning about it. Well, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 is where the story takes place. The king is David. The people are the nation of Israel. And um, as you may know back in the Old Testament from Israel's perspective, um, God lived in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And in in the Ark of the Covenant were the Ten Commandments, Aaron's rod that budded. There was some manna in there. And the ark stayed in a tent, which they called a tabernacle. And one day a thought came to David, and he thought, you know what, here am I. I'm living in this plush palace. I've got all that I need, and yet God is living over here in a tent. Now, David knew that God really wasn't in the tent, but uh, but the ark and the tent were the focus of their worship. And so David gets this idea. Here's what he says. He says, I'm going to build a house, and I'm going to make sure that God is honored. I'm going to build him a beautiful temple. And all of the surrounding nations you know, they will come to see what we build God. I mean, by the way, you know, come on. I mean, all of the other gods of all the other people, they've they've got temples for their gods, so I'm gonna build something for the true God that will cause people from miles around to just come and see it and go, man, they built a great temple for their God. I wanna build a place that is worthy to house the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God. Well, in the meantime, God sends David a message. And he says, Here's the deal, David. You can't build the temple. Your history's too spotted. You're a man of war. You've shed blood, so you're not worthy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to have your son, Solomon, build the temple. Now, David does this amazing thing. Knowing that he will... Never actually build the temple Knowing that he will never actually even see the temple David decides he's going to lay all the footwork for it He's going to raise the money He's going to lay out all the plans He's going to be the architect He's going to gather all of the resources and supplies And so when Solomon gets ready to to begin to build it All he'll have to do is to go and just to begin laying it out. I mean, because all of the resources and supplies will already be there. So David starts a capital stewardship campaign. We don't know what he called it. Might have called it time to build. We have no idea. But he personally decides out of his own resources to give tons. And then he gets all kinds of people to give uh, in a very generous way as well. Now, look in verse 1. It says, Then the king said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Now, in your Bible, it may, something, may something, say something a little differently, but literally, uh, this is what David is saying. With all my ability to give, I have given towards this project. It, it, it isn't about giving a percentage to the project. It's not about giving what's left over to the project. This is about This is about giving all that I have. All that I have. It's not about keeping, even keeping God happy with me. And David says, listen, when I evaluated my wealth as a king and evaluated my personal financial portfolio, I went into it with a mindset that said, I want to give as much as I possibly can so that God can say of me, so that it can be said of me, that I gave with all of my ability. Then he goes on into verse 2. He says, gold for the gold work silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these things in large quantities. Verse 3, besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God, over and above everything I have provided for the holy temple. Now, in today's dollars, David would have invested over 17 billion dollars into this project. Now, not only did he give from his wealth as a king, but he also gave from his from his personal wealth because again, he wasn't interested in just keeping God happy with him. He wanted to give from the best of his abilities. Now look at verse 5. Now he now now, who is willing to consecrate himself today to the Lord? "...then the leaders of the families, the officers of the tribe of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. And they gave toward the work on the temple of, of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron." Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And David the king also rejoiced greatly. Now, there's this amazing thing that takes place in, 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 in First Chronicles 29. A feeding frenzy of giving begins to take place it was no longer what can we give it was no longer you know how much do we have to give this whole mentality changed about giving see normally the, the mindset that i encounter uh in the church world is is how little can i give to god and still keep him happy with me i, I want to know where the line is okay wherever the line is that's where i want to go because that line will will guarantee me that god is happy with me now why is that well it's because there's confusion out there. We think that we're owners. We think that all of this stuff that we have accumulated, we actually think that it's ours. And so when it comes to the churches, this is how many people give. We think, well, if the music is good, if the speaker is inspiring, if things aren't too loud, then God will get some of what is mine okay but if i leave church ticked off or if things aren't going well if i'm not happy if someone makes me mad then then since it's mine god doesn't get any of it now if that's you not only are you operating from an ownership mentality but you are operating from a sinful mentality as well okay i just want to just say that all right and over the years i've had a lot of people ask me a lot of questions about giving Um, One of the questions I get, you know, concerns tithing. Tithing is giving 10% of your overall income um, to the Lord. And a lot of folks now will ask me, isn't that an Old Testament principle? I mean, that was Moses and the law. I mean, aren't we all about now freedom in Christ and Jesus? And normally the reason that I I get asked that question is because, again, people want to be freed up to give less, all right? Another question is, do I tithe off the gross of the net? And sometimes people's motives are pure, but a lot of times the thought is, Again, how little can I give and still have God be okay with me? You know, do I give before taxes or after taxes? Do I give off of my income tax return or, or, you know, have I already done that? What are the rules? And so rather than looking at our increase as yet another opportunity to invest in what God's doing and to partner alongside of him, we we desperately try to stay right on the line or below the line for whatever reason so we want God to be at least somewhat satisfied with us. And again, why do we do that? Well, because, again, we think we're owners. We think it's all ours. We, we think it's all ours. Everything that is in our possession is ours. However, according to this, it's the wrong perspective. And what we need to understand this morning is that, 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 that these people in First Chronicles, what they understood was we're not owners. Instead, what we are is we are stewards. We are just managers of God's stuff. It's all been put on loan to us. See, when you're an owner, things belong to you. But when you're a steward, you realize that things are just on loan to you for a short while. Stuff's not yours. It never was ever actually yours. And so this is all about perspective. And King David was a guy who who truly had this thing figured out, and he operated from the right perspective. I want you to listen to this amazing prayer that he prays before the temple is actually built. Verse 10, he says, David praised the Lord in in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, o, the, o Lord, God of our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted over as head over all. See, the world's economy may be broke. The U.S. economy may, may be broke. There may be a lot of businesses going bankrupt right now. People may be broke. But I want to let you know what David just said right here. He is saying to us, God is not broke. God is not broke. And in this prayer, he lays out three very important things that we have got to keep in mind. And the first one is this, is that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. David realized, listen, I'm not an owner. All of this stuff that's just been given to me is on loan to me for a very short while. And if we're going to build God a temple that reflects his glory, then we have got to understand that it all belongs to him anyways. Everything belongs to him. Now, don't miss what's happening here. David's the king of Israel. He has given his life to leading it. He has has worked his 70-plus hours a week, day in and day out. He has worked to keep it strong. And when it was all said and done, the greatest nation at the time, he said, Lord, even this great kingdom, Israel, all of its land, all of its wealth, all of its horses, chariots, all of its building, it's all yours. It's all yours. In other words, not only does it belong to you, but guess what? It all came from you as well. So everything belongs to God, but also everything comes from God. See, everything you have, your talents, your abilities, your gifts, your personality, all of those things come from God. You are a combination of all of the things that you have ever been taught and everything that has been given to you by God. If you were to throttle back and subtract everything that you've ever been taught by someone else or other people and everything that's been given by God, you'd be back at zero. And David recognized that. All of his leadership skills, all of his position as king, everything that he had accumulated uh, you know, as, a, as a wealthy king, everything came from God. And look what he says in verse 12. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler over all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And so not only does everything belong to God, not only everything comes from God, but everything has been distributed by God. David says, God, everything I have has been distributed by you to me. In other words, what you have what you what you have is what God has chosen to give you. Now, there are a lot of folks that struggle with God's distribution plan. I mean, you you look at the person next to you and you go, what, What's up with this God? They've got more than me. I don't like your plan. Alright? I mean, I don't understand why they have more than I have. Alright? Now let me tell you something if if i were to take you into certain places of atlanta or to africa with me you would automatically be very happy with god's distribution plan it's all about who we compare ourselves to but here's the deal it's not what do i have the question is what am i doing with it all right are you faithful with what god has given you it's not about what you have. It's about what you're doing with it. Are you faithful? Do you trust God with what he has given you? So everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything's distributed by God. And when you understand that, I want to tell you something. I'll make you a promise. You will look at your house differently. You will look at your car differently. You will look at your money differently. You will look at everything that you consider to be your stuff. You will look at it differently. You will begin to live your life differently. David was a man that God looked at and said, this is a man after my own heart. I mean, if God played favorites, David was a favorite, all right? And yet, this is what he said at the end of his life. I mean, you know, people, they say their best things at the end of the, I mean, everything that they've wanted to say, and I've been at the, at the bedside of many, many people that, that are dying over the last however many years. People say some very, very important things. They want to say something to you that will last, that will stick, that you can communicate to other people. And, and these are David's last recording, recorded words. He he says this to the people. He says, "Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is distributed by God. It's all His." So, with that in mind, how can we begin to fix this broken mess? That we've made of our lives and of our, of, our, of our finances, particularly this morning. Well, here's what you've got to do. You have got to change your perspective. You've got to change your perspective. And you've got to realize that you are a steward, not an owner. Now, what's a steward? A steward is someone who grows and protects the owner's assets with fierce intensity. With fierce intensity. See, that's our, that's our responsibility, to protect and to grow God's assets. A good, a good steward is, is someone who, who basically takes their cue from, their, from the owner. A steward looks to the owner to see what is it that you want me to do with your stuff. And so if everything is God, and everything that belongs to God, and he's entrusted you with some resources, he's distributed some money to you, he's distributed some investments, the house, the cars, everything, then your responsibility is to grow and protect the owner's assets with fierce intensity. Now, what, what would happen if you were to sit down with a financial planner, all right? I mean, you walked in tomorrow, and I mean, a good financial planner would look at you and he would say, listen, what do you want me to do with your money, all right? What, what do you want to see happen with your money, all right? You'd get real nervous if you sat down with a financial planner tomorrow and you sat down and he said to you, listen, I am so glad you came in here. I am so glad that you're letting me handle your money because my wife has been wanting me to finish our basement for such a long time and finally I can do that. Or, you know what, I've, I've been waiting for you to walk in here to invest your money because finally I can get that boat that I've always dreamed about. Thank you so much. No, listen, you want, the, you want your final financial planner not to be concerned about his needs. You want him to be concerned about your goals for your money. You want him to be a good steward for you, to be a manager of the stuff that you are investing. You want him to, 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 to invest along with your best interest in mind. So here's the bottom line. God has put on loan to all of us a certain amount of stuff, a certain amount of talents, a certain amount of gifts, a certain amount of abilities, a certain amount of money. And he says, all right, here's the deal. It all belongs to me. What are you going to do with my stuff? How are you going to invest? Now, can you imagine what would happen if the followers of Jesus Christ truly caught a glimpse of this and started living this out? I mean, just take... The Westridge crowd. I mean, we would never struggle financially. I mean, we would never have to have two and a half hour long conversations with our elders like we did yesterday to talk about staff benefit cuts, uh, salary cuts, and layoff plans, which is what we did yesterday morning. Instead, we'd be able to talk about how can we invest this abundance of resources into better training our children and students to become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. We'd be able to talk about how many churches do we really want to plant all over the United States and the world. We would be able to talk about how many wells can we really, truly, you know, provide for, for, for nations in Africa. I mean, see, there's already enough money in all of the bank accounts of every Christian to finance the great, great Commission. The problem with us as a whole is that we think that we are owners and not stewards. And God has already blessed people with enough to accomplish what he's already called us to do. We should have an abundance. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine what would happen if this church alone started living with that mindset where we understood we're not owners, we're stewards. We're managers of God's stuff. We've got to change our perspective. And what you need to understand is that God is not broke. Everything belongs to him. Everything comes from him. Everything's distributed by him. The writer Asaph, in Psalm chapter 50, he understood this. Here's what he said. He said, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. This is God speaking. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. David said this. He says, The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, everything, everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything's distributed by him. Well, I know some of you are thinking, great. Well, if God owns it all, then how can I get God to help me to fix this broken mess that, I'm fi- that I have found myself in as it you know, relates to my finances? What do I got to do? First thing that you have to do is you've got to change your perspective. Stop acting like an owner and start acting like a steward of God re- God's resources. Where do I start? How do I do that? Well, here's what you've got to do. You've got to take a step. You got to take a step. You got to take a step and start handling God's resources from the proper perspective. So many of you in here are pocket change givers. When 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 the the buckets come around or you know whatever happens, I mean you reach in and you go, okay, you know I've got twenty five and a couple ones. Uh, God, you know what? I liked a couple songs that we did a while ago, so I'm gonna give you two. All right. Oh, you know what? I like what Brian's going to speak on today. I'll give you three. We've got to change that mindset. And we've got to go from pocket change givers to being percentage givers. And and, and here's the deal. I mean, it'd be very difficult for you to jump in and go, tomorrow I'm giving 10%. I realize that, okay? And some of you are stuck there. We need to go from pocket change givers to percentage givers, whatever that looks like. And then go from percentage givers to tithers. I thought tithing is Old Testament, well, we're going we're to talk in the next several weeks about some, some proof that tithing is actually New Testament. But I want you to understand something about that because there's a much bigger picture here. God owns it all. And so because he owns it all, and, and what we hear about in the New Testament is that not only does he own it all, but he wants it all, not just 10%. So we've got to go from the idea of tithing, which some of you are stuck there. Some of you are almost legalistically stuck there. You've got to go from tithing to generosity to getting to the place where you become generous with whatever it is that God's entrusted you with. And I know some of you are thinking, how can I trust God? Well, we're going to talk about that next week. How can I really trust him? How do I know that he truly will, will come alongside of me and he'll, and he'll walk, he'll take care of me and help me? How do I know? We're going to talk about that next week. You don't want to miss this. Now, here's what I want to do before we close. I want you to bow your head for a moment. And the reason I want you to do that is I want you just to get rid of the distractions around you. And I want to ask you not to leave right now, okay? I know some of you have got to go, and it's an emergency, but if, unless it's pouring snow, just stay here for a moment. I want to have a time of confession. I want to have a time where we, as a church, change our perspective. And what I want you to do right now is I want you to think about everything that you have in your possession, your house, your cars, your money, your savings accounts, your retirement funds, whatever it is that you have, a boat, whatever, I don't care, whatever that looks like. And I want you just to think for just a moment, Lord, and maybe just say this to him, God, for all of these years, I have thought that this was mine, but Lord, what I realize is it's yours. It's yours. It all belongs to you. It all comes from you, Lord. And at the end of the day, you're the one that gave me this stuff, that allowed me to have it. So, Lord, I want to change my mindset right now. I want to change my mindset. There's my confession. I want to change my mindset. I want to I change my perspective. And I want to tell you this morning that it's all yours. It's all on loan to me from you. First of all, doesn't that take the weight off a little bit? Doesn't that just kind of take the weight off? Now, I want you to think about how can I get this stuff into play? Not just your money, but all that stuff that you have. How can I get it into play for God's kingdom work? How does God want me to use everything that he's entrusted to me for his glory and for his kingdom agenda? And I I promise you, if you will change your mindset and begin operating from that, that vantage point, not only will you take the weight off your shoulders, but you will invite God into your finances, which is what you must do if you're going to get financially healthy. If you're going to get back on your feet, and if God, see, see, these broken pieces which represent our finances, you're not putting those back together on your own. Only God can do that, and he can do that, and he wants to do that. And so if that's who you are this morning, let's just have a moment of confession. If you need to tell God you're sorry for thinking differently, let's do that. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that's the the first and best place to start with your life. I want to give you an opportunity to make that decision this morning. With, with, With your head bowed, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you don't have a relationship with Him, just say something like this, Lord, this morning, beyond my finances, what I'm most concerned about is my eternity. And Lord, what I want to do at this moment is to confess to you my sins, particularly the sin of unbelief. Lord, I want you to know that I repent. I change my mind about my sinfulness. Lord, I want to confess with my mouth that you are the Lord and Savior of the world and that you are the Son of God and the Savior of my life. And I ask you to save me at this moment. What, you did, what Jesus did for me on the cross was enough. To pay for all the sins of not only the world, but to pay for my sins, and I put all my faith and trust in that to get me not only into a relationship with you, but to heaven. This morning, I'm asking for that right now. I trust you. I want you to save me. If you just prayed that prayer on your worship guide, I want you to take it, fill it out, give us your information, check the box that says today I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I want you to take it to the help center, either out here uh, in this campus. On the atrium or at the West Campus in the lobby. But Lord, as we start this series off, may we begin with a changed mind, a proper perspective, Lord, to realize, Lord, that everything belongs to you. Everything comes from you. Everything is distributed by you. It's all on loan to us, Lord. We are not owners. We are stewards. And help us, Lord, to begin to protect and invest your assets with fierce intensity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.